0: and welcome to another edition of Wizards Half. This is MIDI episode 58.5. These are the episodes where we get into all the nitty gritty details that we didn't have time for on the main episode. And I'm very excited to be uh, sharing with you some of the stuff we're going to talk about on this mini episode. Of course, we had a great time with Gabe from Gabe Loves 90s Comics. And of course, Michael made it in just under the wire. We have a lot to get into this time around, too. But first, let's get into some giveaways with Caps Kookie Contests. Alright, now the first contest here is actually not a wizard-sponsored contest, but it is an insert into this issue that you cannot help but turn to. It is by none other than Hanna-Barbera. Yes, the studio that brought you Scooby-Doo and the Flintstones and the Jetsons and so many more. But they have an ad here that says, Hearing Peculiar Voices, Seeing Little Green Men, All We Can Do is Hope. So this is the official Hanna-Barbera storyboard contest. They say that this is their fourth annual contest. I don't know where the other three were being advertised but here's what it says. Win fabulous prizes. Make your mother proud. To see if you've got what it takes to be the next premier cartoon creator, storyboard artist, animator, or designer, just fill in the blanks. They actually give you a storyboard insert to use that kind of folds out. It says here it's got to be funny, hip, or outrageous. The concept of characters must be original and the entrance must be the creator of the storyboard. Entries will be judged on the following criteria, originality of concept, character development, and humor. But obviously they are what can I say, uh, trying to find new ideas? I mean, the Cartoon Network was definitely a thing at this time where they were trying to come up with new ideas. You know, was it Dexter's Laboratory? Was it Powerpuff Girls? You know, whatever. Very curious to know who won, but here's what it says. So your board will be seen by Hollywood Hotshots, judges will be selected from the animation, television, and motion picture industries, and you win big money. So the grand prize is $5,000. First runner-up gets $3,000. Second runner-up gets $1,500. There are seven honorable mentions where you get a limited edition animation cell valued at $700. This is one of those things where I guess it makes sense that it would be in Wizard, but again, they hadn't been doing it for the three years prior. So, you know, I actually did used to pick up animation magazines back in the 90s at this time at Barnes & Noble. I don't remember seeing that there. I, I actually myself didn't ever, aspire to be an animator. I did want to be a comic book creator, but didn't we all? Uh, So anyway, just thought I'd bring that up. If any of you have a heads up on who would have won this contest in 1996 and if that made it to some you know animated form on any network, I'd love to hear about it. But let's get on to the next contest. Alright, so out of animation and into the indie comic scene, Abstract Studio and Comic Images present the Visit to Paradise contest. Comb your hair real nice. Here's who you're hitting on. France, Seed. she's neurotic and nervous and probably lacking a bit of self-confidence, but still real lovable. She's a bit fragile and emotional but still as cute as a button. David, he's the cute as a button sensitive guy type. He's romantic, caring, a good listener, and he never sugarcoats how he feels. Oh yeah, he's got glasses. Kachu, she's impulsive and feisty and usually acts without examining the consequences, but she's a good loyal friend. Did we mention she's cute as a button? So yes, this is a strangers in paradise contest. You know, we have all the Terry Moore art and his characters here, so here's what they say. How to play. Tired of heroes in capes and heroines with their butt cheeks hanging out of thong bikini costumes? Then try reading Strangers in Paradise, the much acclaimed series from Terry Moore. It's a comic book about basic human and basic dysfunctional relationships that also happens to be one of the most well written comics out there today. Give it a read. Get to know the characters and you just might win a trip to paradise. Okay, so what the hell does that mean? What that means is that we want to set you up on a date, the three main characters from Strangers in Paradise, David, Francine, and cachu are all available. Read a bit about them. Tell us, in 100 words or less, which one you'd like to go out on a date with and why. And you just might be able to visit Paradise. Check out the grand prize for details. So the grand prize, one reader who gives us a good enough reason why they should win a Strangers in Paradise date will actually win a date with the character of their choice. You'll win a Strangers in Paradise walk-on and have your likeness drawn into a future issue of Strangers in Paradise. Our lawyers will make sure you sign a release form in blood. But that's okay. And just because Terry Moore is such a nice guy, he'll even give you the original art page on which you appear. Oh yeah, he'll throw in an autographed copy of the collected Strangers of Paradise paperback and a box of comic images Strangers of Paradise trading cards. Look for the cards in the fall. Second prize, ten potential suitors who are pretty groovy but don't quite make the cut will receive a copy of the collected Strangers of Paradise paperback autographed by Terry Moore and a box of those swell cards. Oh yeah, and they'll be stuck at home on Saturday night. (laughs) Ha ha! so that is a very interesting concept not only do you get drawn into the comic but as a potential love interest for one of the main characters so that's fun uh, it says this contest is sponsored by Terry Moore's abstract studio and comic images we'd go to dinner and a movie with them anytime so let's see what it says here in the fine print offer void where prohibited regulated or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purposes and rules hereof kachoo tight yeah so <laughs> similar joke I made on a recent episode But speaking of dates and romance, so if you'll recall, there was a contest a little while back, I think it was meant to be a Valentine's Day contest, where they wanted you to write a love letter as Rogue or as Gambit, and the two lovebirds had not been getting along very well in the pages of X-Men, and so that was the whole idea, that was in Wizard 53. So there were two winners. So the first was a gal named Adrian Laura McKenzie, who wrote to Gambit, but the guy, Mike Lorenz of Ben Salem, Pennsylvania, who wrote to Rogue, did more than that. He actually made a full-on music box which plays the impossible dream as the lovers spin around. We'll post this to social media, but it's literally figurines of the characters, not like he didn't take Toy Biz figures. He sculpted his own, and it's Rogue kind of floating above Gambit and getting ready to give him a kiss, but that is above and beyond. Do you want to win? Uh, That's definitely how it's going to get done, so I thought that was a very cool fall. up to one of their contests, but let's check out the next one. Ooh, this one. Getting into Vertigo territory. A dream of a contest. Yeah, we're all moping around the office, all depressed that Sandman has finally gone off to that great comic long box in the sky, but just as one Game Inverse title ends, more begin. The future is looking pretty bright. A new Death Mini series, The Time of Your Life, is on the stands. The Dreaming, a new ongoing series featuring Sandman's rich supporting cast is starting any second now. And of course there's that new Neil Gaiman Charles Vest series on the horizon. That was Stardust, but they didn't mention it by name. Heck, all these new goodies make it seem more like a party occasion, so we'll throw a trivia party to test your game inverse knowledge. Get these questions right, and you could win one heck of a door prize. So how do I play? Just answer these five and related trivia questions, and you could win a world of neat stuff. Randomly selected winners who get all five questions right will take home the swag. Here are your cues. Well, we'll see how I do. As you might recall, I reviewed the last issue of Sandman, as part of a recent mini-episode, but I hadn't read very much of it before then. Of course, we have the new Sandman series coming up on Netflix, so maybe get some insight there. But here's what they say. Number one, what was Matthew the Raven's first and last name when he was human? Uh, Eric Draven? Okay, that's not gonna work. All right, that's the crow. Number two, name Morpheus's immortal friend whom he meets with once every 100 years. Immortal friend. Hmm... Yeah, I don't remember. Number three, what song did Fox Gloves sing on the David Letterman show in Death, The Time of Your Life? I'm going to guess it was something by The Cure, uh, but I don't know. Number four, what diminutive denizen of The Dreaming is the subject of the first story arc in The Dreaming? Hmm, somebody small. I thought I remembered Cain and Abel being as the part of The f- Dreaming, but I don't know, because I randomly was given uh, I bought this like mystery grab bag and got a couple issues of the dreaming many years ago and promptly gave it away but (laughs) okay number five what's the title of the upcoming Neil Gaiman Charles Vest series oh that's why they didn't tell you Stardust well I at least got one anyway one heck of a door prize one lucky Gaiman file who does his homework and gets all these answers right will receive the biggest ginchiest Gaiman and crew prize package that we could put together an original Sandman statue from Kelly Jones design A part of a limited edition of 1800 pieces, the Sandman Arabian Night statue, P. Craig Russell design, the Death statue, Chris Bocciolo design, a Death Watch, a Sandman t shirt, two different Death t shirts, a set of Death Vertigo temporary tattoos, non toxic, we swear, and a set of four posters Brief Lives by Jill Thompson, The Wake by Michael Zulli, and Death 1 and Death 2 by Chris Bocciolo. Oh yeah, just to keep things current, we'll throw in a copy of Death the Time of Your Life number one, autographed by Chris Bocciolo, and The Dreaming number one. Autograph by Terry Laban. Woo! Second prize, three other fortuitous readers will receive a package consisting of three posters, a death tee, a Sandman tee, those swell temporary tattoos, and the autographed copies of Death, The Time of Your Life, and The Dreaming. Now, as I recall, they said that those statues were actually going for quite a bit on the secondary market when they did an interview with one of the sculptors at a certain point in Wizard, so that actually was a pretty good prize at the time. But it says, this contest is sponsored by Vertigo DC Comics and DC Retail Products and we think they're real swell. Let's check out here The Legaling. I actually kind of like that. It sounds like a good movie. Are you prepared for The Legaling? All right, here we go. Contest is open to anyone except deploys of Wizard Press, DC Comics, and their immediate families, or anyone who's currently asleep. Well, it would be hard to enter that way, wouldn't it? Next up here, Offer void were prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purposes and rules hereof. Um, excuse me, Mr. Sandman, if you bring me a dream, please make her the cutest that I've ever seen. I still think the strangest use of that song was not in Back to the Future, where it fit. It was at the end of Halloween 2, when it cuts to credits, it plays Mr. Sandman. It was kind of strange. Alright, last contest here. The make em jealous PlayStation Contest. Want to be the enemy of all your friends? Heck, be the enemy of your enemies. That's more fun. Well, you can do it with the PlayStation Game Console. The graphics are unbelievable. They're so real. They're eerie. They pull you in so far that you almost forget to come out. Now, you can make every kid on the block, friend or enemy, jealous as all heck if you have a PlayStation Game Console of your very own. And you can get one by six. Simply filling out the coupon below, it's that easy. And that's not all. Just because the folks at Sony Computer Entertainment America are so swell, they'll even kick in a dozen games for you to play. That's right, 12 PlayStation software titles for free! Even your best friend will hate you. So fill out the coupon today. Hey, you can't win if you don't enter. So the games that they're highlighting here that I assume are part of those 12 are Beyond the Beyond, which is some sort of like D&D style game, Carnage Heart, Aquanauts Holiday, and. Project Horde Owl, along with Bogey Dead 6. I remember none of these games for the PlayStation, but again, I wasn't buying it at launch uh, because, as I recall, the big deal was more PlayStation 2, which was a DVD player, and that was like the big reason all my friends were buying it. So uh, I didn't play too much PlayStation 1. My buddy Brett had one, and I remember, you know, some sort of violent video games on there, but <laughs> it wasn't anything I had a lot of time with. But it says here, this month's contest is. Sponsored by Soda Computer Entertainment America. They know a lot about video games and stuff. Alright, well, here we go with another edition of Robin's Reading Rainbow. No! Can you feel the power of the metal? Yes, okay. So we're getting into some heavy metal here, but it might not be the heavy metal you were expecting. Now, Evil Ernie ain't around this place. It's Iron Man and Exo Manowar in heavy metal. As you'll recall in the main episode, I was very excited by the little news bit that said Acclaim Comics and Marvel had teamed up to produce this crossover that I think nobody expected. I mean, for years, people were calling Exo Manowar Valiant's Iron Man, so I get it. But the two characters are very, very different. The origins of the armors are very, very different. But for me, like, the fact that Exo Manowar was something I had just discovered at this time, I remember seeing the ads for this video game, and they were CGI-rendered characters on the covers and in the ads, you know? Because this was for a PlayStation game, yes, where it was all in these 3D characters that were in on the action, blasting spider aliens and all the other bad guys, and I never played it, didn't have any friends that bought it, and I didn't have a Playstation so I could rent it at Blockbuster Video, but it was still it fascinated me, and just the idea of calling it Heavy Metal, it made so much sense, right? So, uh, I finally was in some back issue bids recently and I found a copy of this, there were two, so the first was produced by Acclaim Valiant, but really they were Acclaim at this point, and then the other side was by Marvel, so it was a collaboration but they each got to publish their own issue of the saga so the first one was the Acclaim issue and I will say right now just spoiler the art in this one is way better than the art that was in the actual Marvel comic the art for Acclaim comics was done by Andy Smith who was drawing Exo Manowar at the time and he did a great job but it's interesting because it just kind of throws you right into the action you have Arnim Zola oh yeah we love that camera head chest face (laughs) but he is working with this guy that I've never seen before I don't know who he is but they both talk about their boss who has assigned them to do some study on this fragment of what is known as the Cosmic Cube but also the Rock of Reality so I think in the Acclaim universe it was Rock of Reality and of course we know in the Marvel universe we have the Cosmic Cube but they basically explain that their purpose is they're trying to merge the universes they're trying to bring over this character's named Crescendo, who is this like female sorceress or something and they are collecting all these fragments of this cosmic cube, the rock of reality, across the different realities. And so like they have all these henchmen like spider aliens from the Exo Manor series and really just the whole Valiant Acclaim universe are there, but then uh, you also have characters like the Melter and Mr. Hyde, Titania is in there as well as the Absorbing Man on the Marvel side What I don't quite understand about this series is, I I mean, I get that they're trying to make it a multiverse deal, but what they do is they they cross realities with different versions of Iron Man and Exo War as they are interrupting the dig I guess you could say you know like for example in the Marvel Universe Mr. Hyde and the Melter and whoever like they have stolen this vibranium drill so they can drill into the earth really quickly and get this fragment and then they get teleported out of there once Iron Man shows up to confront them and then on the other side like I said you have these characters who I don't know anything about like I, I they're digging in some ice and there's this guy who I have not heard of like got guy named blackout? I'm like, I I don't know who that is. But what happens is once these fragments are kind of coming together then you see that Iron Man and Exo Manowar come face to face. And what is strange at this time is that the Iron Man is the teenage Iron Man, because as you'll recall, before the whole Heroes Reborn, they had gone on this weird thing where they plucked a younger Tony Stark out of a timeline. And so he's an 18 year old Tony, and he is the one in the armor. But also, the Exo Manowar is Rand Banyan. Rand Banyan was part of the Acclaim Comics reboot of Exo Manowar, not Eric Dacia, who was the traditional Exo Manowar. So these. To meet up, at least you think it's the young Iron Man, but it's not, because actually it's it's cut across to a different Iron Man in a newer kind of more goldish armor with just some red highlights, and he is blasting Exo Manowar. And the strange thing is, he is mentioning something about my pal Bethany, which makes me think was this an Iron Man from a different timeline? I just never read this story, because they seem to be making reference to an existing version from a you know a multiverse situation but what's cool in the fight is when he blasts the Exo Manowar armor, Rand Banyan pretends that he is being affected he's like, ah you fool, I'm bonded to this armor, body and soul, your assault disrupted the alien symbiote's fragile link to my nervous system, and then Iron Man's like oh I'm sorry, but then the symbiote just goes and grabs him around the neck and then you see the Exo Manowar was able to blast the guy in the face but when he blasts open his armor the helmet reveals a guy who is African American with a mustache he doesn't give his name but i mean maybe it's roadie from a different reality where he stayed iron man like it was just it was strange to me because i i there's no explanation at all they don't reference a previous marvel comic and the guy dies in the arms of the Exo Manowar Rand Banyan and he fades away from reality. Uh, obviously they're saying okay there's something going on in these multiverses but then we go to the other book where you see that Iron Man who is the teenage Iron Man they just say the real Iron Man and a false Exo have made fast friends and I was like a false Exo? Eric of Dacia is considered a false Exo? So like they kind of just jump around in the story. I watched the video game footage like the gameplay, to see like, oh, is there a story there that explains it more? Not really. I mean, it's very light on story. It's just like, here's these aliens you gotta fight, there's fragments of the Cosmic Cube that you're trying to protect, blah blah blah. So, uh, that was strange to me, that they're just, all of a sudden, they're like, yeah, remember there was that fight between those other two? Well, here's the false Exo and the real Iron Man. No explanation. Anyway, so they go to this base together, though. They seem to know where they're headed, and you see that Baron Zemo is the one who teamed up with Crescendo from the Acclaim. universe to get these henchmen to do the work for him and basically he says now to release the energies of the cube i must first deactivate the gravimetric fields encasing each of the fragments thereby linking the matrix into one form and the one form is himself so Zebo was double crossing everybody he wanted the power of the cosmic cube for himself can you feel it zola the universe in its entirety flows through my every cell but then crescendo shows up coming through her portal from her universe and she basically says in your greedy rush to power you have created a spatial rift which threatens to consume both our worlds i will not allow you to steal that which should rightfully be mine and so she jumps at him and they seemingly just kind of fizzle out of existence, uh, but there's more to be told in the next issue, and you see that Iron Man is caught in the blast, exo flies in, Iron Man! And then it's the multiverses topple over like dominoes. One omniversal plane implodes into nothingness, and the next, and the next, until the only thing left of reality is nothing. Okay, so that is the end of the Acclaim issue. Again, fantastic art by Andy Smith, he does a great job. Then, when you get over to the next issue by Marvel with art by Tom Grindberg, who I as far as I know is a serviceable I mean the thing is they have like three different inkers so I don't know if that is what is affecting the quality of the art but it immediately picks up in a combined multiverse so you might recall the whole Deathmate thing right when the Valiant universe merged with the image universe well that has happened now with the Marvel universe and the acclaimed Valiant and they call it it's a world of Valiant Marvel Marvels, okay? So there's bad guys like Titanium Man, Crimson Dynamo, and then War Master and the Armorines from the Valiant Universe. Okay? So they're like the bad guys facing off against the Avengers! And who are the Avengers in this reality? You have Ray, you have Quicksilver, you have Crystal, you have Captain America, you have Solar, Man of the Atom, and then a character I do not know named Windstorm. I don't know if she is Acclaim or Marvel. Like, that was one where I was just like, Windstorm? So anyway, they battle and face off, but then they just fade out of existence so that was just like a momentary creation in the multiverse it flies back in time to Eric of Dacia now in the year 408 AD and he is running away from some Roman centurions he hides in a cave and he finds something you expect him to find his armor but no he finds an attache case filled with the iron man armor then it goes to 1992 not 1996 uh, which I thought was interesting and you see now Howard Stark is alive there is a young Tony Stark and they are doing experiments on this alien pod which they state is something that has attached itself to various people throughout history and the last time was in 1941 a Nazi soldier got a hold of it which again is part of the newer Exo-Manowar like they've just mixed up so much of the history of these characters Uh, but anyway the experiment goes awry and wouldn't you know it the exo armor explodes out of its containment unit and covers the young Tony Stark, who suddenly basically just looks like an adult. Like, it's really strange. Then you see a face-off between the spider aliens and Mr. Hyde and Titania and all of those people who are trying to get their hands on the fragment. But what's weird is then Exo Manowar shows up, but again, Exo Manowar is now Tony Stark. And so he gives some of the worst, I mean like I guess you want to call it snarky dialogue by Fabian Nicieza. But he says, what? what I do? Do I offend? The commercials said it was strong enough for a man. I guess the old Exo Manowar reputation precedes me, huh? I mean, it's just, it's very weird. And then you see the spider aliens as they run away. Now they are confronted with Iron Man. But who is Iron Man? It's Eric Dacia. And so now they are talking as if they are old friends. Again, there's no backstory here. All they say is, dude, ever since the second skin attached itself to me four years ago, it's been laugh or cry. In that, then, I empathize with you, boy. In many ways, I have felt the same way for over five centuries now. So isn't that interesting? In the original continuity. Exo War was, you know, taken by aliens and he was kind of put in a sleep and then he woke up in the modern day, broke out, got the armor. But here they're saying he's literally had the Iron Man armor for five centuries. How did he maintain it? How did, you know, he stay alive and young all those years? Because the Iron Man armor is an alien. It doesn't, you know, give you eternal youth. So, so much going on. But they also talk about getting all sorts of information from the cosmic cube like in their heads that they're saying yes we understand this reality is not correct so we must do something to fix that so now they have shown up they're at the enemy base they're confronting everybody So what you see is that Zebo and Crescendo as we recall at the end of the last moment they had gotten fused together in that explosion. So now they are inside the Cosmic Cube or the Rock of Reality as it was called. And so Exo Manowar gives them the cube but the idea is that whole you know concept of oh you want the power take all the power. So you see them fused together back to back as these like golden creatures and it says So much to see, too much to comprehend, one multiversal plane stacked upon another, upon another, upon another. And so they have images from the different universes. They have Captain America and Cyclops, and then they have Spider-Man and Crystal. What is odd though, you have Grifter, I mean, you could maybe say it was Jack Flagg from Marvel Comics, but I'm almost certain it is Grifter. You have Superman with the long hair looking down, and up in the upper corner, you have Wonder Woman in the mix. So, oh, and they also have, is it Warblade? Is that his name? From Wildcats with the big finger talons? So, they are mixing in Image and DC characters to this multiverse, which is bizarre to me. How did they get away with that? Why do they think that was a good idea? But, basically, it's too much for them, and they can't maintain control. So in the mix of all this though, with the Cosmic Cube, Tony Stark and Eric Dacia have ended up in their proper armors and Eric takes the cube from Zemo and Crescendo, you have proven yourselves unworthy of such a toy. Iron Man, the multiverse is crumbling about us, we must restore it, I will need your help, but what if, what if we screw it up? How much worse could we make it? So I don't know really what he needed help with, but they basically just take the cube and put their hands over it. There's a big blinding flash, a literal panel that is just all white. They go back to that moment where we saw Eric Dacia running into a cave, finding the Iron Man armor. Of course, now it is the good skin. Now it is his armor seed, and everything is as it should be. Tony Stark is now an 18-year-old at a university. He still has a memory of it, and What's interesting is he's looking at this old book and he sees. So it looks like we both made it back where we belong. You taught me what it means to be a warrior, Eric. I just hope that in some small way I showed you what it means to be at peace. So you actually see in this history book that it says his name was Eric of Dacia, a warrior unlike any of his time. He never stopped fighting the Romans. Blah blah blah. So anyway, uh, that is the end of the story. Uh, it was all over the place. I mean, you're mixing these realities, but that was just that was an adventure. I. Have- I had no concept that that would be what they were going for. I didn't think they were going to use a multiverse angle in this comic. Like I say, that's not part of the video game, really. So, yeah, you surprised me, Fabian Isieza. And uh, you did a great job on the art, Andy Smith and Tom Greinberg. Not so much. But there you go. Manor and Iron Man in heavy metal. On to the next segment. Alright, little bit of a correction here. As you'll recall on the main episode, I mentioned that on the polybag for the issue, they were stating that Drew Hayes, the creator of Poison Elves, was going to be profiled. And I said, no, he's not. There's no interview in this issue. There must be a story behind that. There's no story. It's just in the very back of the issue, in the wizard profile. That is where they're talking to Drew Hayes. Uh, So for those of you like my pal Sean Robert, here is is the Drew Hayes question and answer section because he's one of those guys that I don't know like much of his work, although it's kind of interesting because he says here, I dropped out of high school my senior year. I couldn't stand to be institutionalized. I tried college for half a semester, but I dropped out again. I had a real heavy anti-social streak going. Then I started working normal jobs, you know, the kind where they say, okay, you've got two arms, two legs, you're hired. I was just sick of it all. I knew I could draw, but I didn't want to be 45 and drawing tampons and beer cans for some big commercial agency. I thought, well, you like comics, so why don't you do that? I guess I was fooling myself. He laughs. So anyway, obviously he had a nice bit of success with Poison Elves, but let's get Drew's take on some of those quick questions that Wizard likes to ask. So he says here, first comic read, Uncanny X-Men number 143. Favorite comic of all time, Cerebus number 23. Favorite work of your own, Poison Elves, since Sirius took it over. Comics you currently read, Strangers of Paradise, Stray Bullets, Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. The one person you'd like to meet? Jack Nicholson. He's so cool. Superpower you would most want? Invisibility. Favorite munchie at 2am? Coffee. Favorite toy as a kid and as an adult? As a kid? Metallic Shogun Warriors because they had all these sharp things kids could swallow and hurt themselves with. As an adult? My stereo. Things you collect? Human skulls and weird looking action figures. Person who would play you in a movie? Tom Arnold. <laughs> Favorite cartoon? Star Blazers. People you would most like to work with? James O'Barr and Henry Rollins. Oh, that's quite a combo. Favorite musical performer? Henry Rollins. Curious to know if he loves Rollins Band or Black Flag or both. Favorite TV show? Seinfeld. Last good movie you saw? Waterworld. Last good book you read, American Psycho by Brett Easton Ellis. If you had the power of the Beyonder, I don't think people like me are made for that kind of responsibility. <laughs> At least he knows himself. So there you go, a look inside the mind of Drew Hayes of Poison L's fame. Speaking of corrections or possibly just clarifications, on the main episode, Gabe and I were discussing the fact that we had never heard of Matrix Comics, even though they were getting a major push by DC and, you know, profiled here. And so a lot of you reached out to us on social media and gave us the inside scoop the fact that, yes, Matrix Comics became Helix Comics before it launched. Apparently, you know, the most popular of all of that was Bloody Mary, but also Transmetropolitan was something that came out at the end of the Helix line. But the question became, why then did... DC have to change it to Helix because literally in the next issue there is a big ad in Wizard number 60 that says excuse me please, due to unavoidable circumstances, DC's new line of science fiction comics now has a new name, Helix. And then it lists all the different ones and it's funny because there's this, this kind of like futuristic looking gal. You can see a little bit of the Matrix logo behind her but she's obscuring it and it says access denied and she's kind of wagging her finger. So I just thought that was so interesting that within a month's time they were able to change it. So it was suggested online by somebody that it had something to do with the Matrix movie coming out and so the DC's parent company Warner Brothers didn't want to have that confusion. That seemed odd to me because the Matrix movie was so many years off but uh, of course Brian Cronin over at CBR and his comic book Legends Revealed right? He always does such a great job with that stuff. He said that he talked to the original editor of the Helix line of comics, Stuart Moore, to ask ask him if it was because of the matrix film or some other reason and this is what he had to say quote yes that's pretty much what happened given the way things change all the time in hollywood i was just glad when the matrix film actually came out under that name and was a hit at least that justified all the last minute hell of changing our imprint name i remember at the time being sure that years later i'd go to the theater and they'd have changed the movie's title to the lattice or something that would have been too much so yeah so 100 percent tied to the matrix which is fascinating in it would affect their publishing wing and so we got helix comics and there is that little piece of history because we really do explore uh, all the news in real time right so the things that we weren't experiencing directly in our own reading this is all new to us so that's just the fun of wizards the podcast kind of comics but now let's get into my favorite segment our mort of the month So this time around, this is a Mort I've actually heard of. Because it is none other than Hector Hammond. Yes, if you have seen the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern movie, uh, Hector Hammond is the main bad guy in all of that. And so here's what they have to say about old Heck. Look, another one of those wacky amalgam characters. We're guessing this one's a cross between the leader and... Mr. Drummond from Different Strokes? No? Eh, then it's just gotta be another unfortunate old DC character. Old Hector here found a meteorite in the California hills and after seeing how it made local villagers evolve into futuristic lifeforms, exposed himself to its rays and grew a big genius head and immortality. The downside, he's now completely paralyzed. Good. Now he can't run away when we try and break open his pasty pinata melon and see if any candy spills out. It was a little simplified in the movie, but... Hector Hammond did get his powers from a meteorite if I remember correctly so I've only watched that movie like twice I I don't want to go back. I I watched the director's cut because they tried to indicate that that would be better, right? They're like, yeah, extra footage. I'm like, yeah, I mean it sort of makes you understand the Hal Jordan character a little bit better but it was no Daredevil director's cut. I'll just put it that way. But yeah, I also think it's interesting is they don't say who Hector Hammond faced off against. Was he a Flash villain? Was he a Green Lantern villain? I'm gonna assume so. That's why he would have been selected for the film but basically their thing is he's got a big head so he's stupid (laughs) as someone who also kind of has a big head i i take offense at that oh yeah i wish there was a funnier angle that they could have taken on that but hey they can't all be winners these morts but we know they're all losers all right let's get on to one last segment i hope you're ready for the top 10 comics Yeah, we haven't checked in on the top 10 list in a while. This is based on April's hottest back issues. So April 1996, even though this particular issue has a June 1996 cover date. So here's what they say. Dawn number one is in the number one spot. Just when we thought the whole bad girl thing was taking a bit of a dip, the, uh healthiest woman in comics bounces back to prove that with a little determination two handfuls of silicone and some back support. Anything's possible. Heck, Dawn zoomed up the ranks like wildfire this month, flying from number 9 to number 1, and she's not the only comeback queen. While it's possible that this issue's story of the mysterious Dawn meeting New York City warrior Darian and his bloody venture into heaven may have gone, may have done zilch for the average reader, Linsner's highly detailed breathtaking art increased the gaga factor tenfold. People really like Love this guy's stuff I and mean, that's all there is to it yeah so dawn even gets a half issue in an upcoming edition of wizard so stay tuned because this is not the last we have heard of her now in the number two spot it's dc versus marvel number one here's a series that absolutely showed the world what fanboys really are fanboys. So Marvel and DC do the unthinkable by bringing their universes of heroes together, and not just a namby-pamby two-hero meeting like that crappy Superman-Spider-Man team-up for way back when. They brought the whole kit and caboodle this time. And it's still not enough. The readers won more team-ups at Slugfest. Unfortunately, some of the matchups were mm, less than inspired. The Wolverine-Lobo fight was quicker than the Tyson-Bruno bout. While this whole team-up deal was pretty cool, the fans, heck, we want more! So, uh, as you might recall, I recently received the entire run of DC vs. Marvel from Brian Cave, one of the contributors to the Retro Network, so I was very excited to finally have that whole series, which is not something I collected at the time. Alright, number three is Lady Death number one. Now this is a comic with top ten stamina. It's been on this list for over two years, and don't start throwing us any of that. It's because it's so rare, backtalk. Fact. A couple years ago, readers jonesed for something new. Something with both blast-butt chutzpah and true coolness. Fact. Out from Chaos Comics popped Lady Death and her wild story, and wilder nature made her huge with the fans. And fact... This Death Dames non-stop barrage of killer miniseries kept her alive and kicking till today, and she's still making impressive chart history, climbing two spots this month. Try to talk back to that. Uh, I will tell you in Lady Death News, you know, we already covered her miniseries on the mini episodes, but I was in another back issue bin recently at a store where everything was 35% off, and I found the Lady Death number one. Yeah, the one with that wraparound, like chromium cover, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it was awesome. So that is now in the archives. That was cool. But, speaking of bad girls, Angela number one is in the number four spot. There's nothing like a real powerful woman. The kind that can crack walnuts on her head? <laughs> what? And Angela's just the gal to do it, too. Just ask old Spawny guy, he'll tell ya. Anyway, this miniseries gives fans more of the Spawn huntress they've come to love as she enlists Spawn's help in a heavenly trial. Plus, with Angela's rival, angels have rivals? Tiffany vying for the number one angel spot in the monthly pages of Spawn, not to mention another Angela miniseries hitting the stands like... Later this year, look for this book to keep soaring. Alright, number 5 The X-Files number 1 Ah, oh, finally a nice light story about a young couple trying to find a Christmas present for each other. What? Well the cover says do not open until Xmas." Ah, oh, shoot. Anyway, these paranormal loving agents have created their own phenomenon unstoppable fan outbreaks With each issue of this popular and classy comic based on the hit sci-fi show, you can bet that thousands of readers will jump on board just like you can bet that every new character introduced on a stand or tv episode will die by the end of the show speaking of eerie stories and unpleasant acts of violence and death the number six spot is preacher number one a priest an irish vampire and an assassin walk into a bar with a duck on their heads oh Wait, sorry, wrong story. Close, but wrong. Uh, this one actually tells the tale of preacher Jesse Custer, his ex girlfriend turned assassin Tulip and Cassidy, that Irish vampire we mentioned, as they search for God. Literally, this highly violent and highly hysterical series is giving Sandman Withdrawal Vertigo fans a great monthly fix, but issues of this puppy are apparently harder to find than a rabbi at a christening. <laughs> That's true, you know, it's interesting, we talked about when we covered Hitman, you could find a million issues of Hitman. Preacher still fairly, you know, the later issues at least are easy to find, but yeah, those early ones, not so much. Number seven is She Number One. Okay, let's take some initiative here. Let's say the bad girl trend is over. Fini Kaputski will even go out on limb and say that people are looking for quality, like She's excellent adventures and not huge heaving breasts. They want depth, like the fact that She has as much humanity as fighting skills and not Big Thong up the butt shots. They've had their day of drooling and are ready to read again. Books like she have been out there for them all along. That's why she's on this chart, and that's why she'll stay. Now, the thing here uh, that was mentioned on social media, we listed the top 10 hottest artists and writers, and somebody mentioned hey, is this the issue where they list him as Billy Tucci out of nowhere? And it is strange, because here he's still listed as William Tucci. I think they just copy and pasted, because she has been on the list for a while. But yeah, most of us know him as Billy Tucci. Alright, number Number eight is X-Patrol number one. Wow. What's a bigger surprise? That this is the only Mutant X book charting this month or that it's the hottest Amalgam book? Well, with its freaky characters like Pharaoh Man, a combo of Colossus and Pharaoh Lad, and Shatter Starfire. enough said, and way too long origin recaps, we'd say the biggest surprise is how fun and enjoyable the story turned out to be. Either way, X-Patrol's here because it's the only Amalgam book with an X up front. No surprise there. Yeah, uh, X-Patrol, I really actually did like the art Uh, but I didn't really care about the characters that much because Doom Patrol and X-Force neither book I've read. Hardly any of. Alright, number 9 Gen 13 number 1. Talk about freaky. Somehow the first ish of the ongoing Gen 13 series replaced the opener to the mini series in Hot Market Activity and on this chart, somebody get those X-Files goons on the case. Anyways, these kids are the hottest teens this side of the Brady kids back in the 70s that is. And with the upcoming Gen 13 animated movie toys and even video games, expect these kids to experience a nice boost in the near future and become even more popular than they currently are and the cover that they have on display here is the grunge which is he is in the pose of spider-man from the mcfarlane spider-man number one cover with all the webs around him and stuff still a classic still love it and finally, who do we have in the number 10 spot? Well, wouldn't you know it, it's Strangers in Paradise, number one. It's your classic case of a low-print run meets no-name creator meets great art meets well-written stories. Figured out yet? Yep, it's a hot book. This title dealing with real-life people and real-life situations has finally started to catch on big time as Terry Moore is finding himself on the lips of more fans every day. No, no, Mrs. Moore, that's just Terry's name on their lips. So go check out The Adventures of the man hating Kachoo, her fragile roommate, francine and david the nice guy in glasses so wow that's gotta be a big deal you gotta think about i mean a lot of these books are indie books right but a bad girl book seems to have a certain appeal you know that kind of pushes it beyond just being an independent superhero comic right and then even more so with strangers in paradise the idea of a book that is not about superheroics it's literally a soap opera when sandman i don't recall being on the top 10 list hardly ever and it was insanely popular right so very interesting turn of events there but thank you so much for checking out this episode because i gotta wrap it up i got things to do i'm sure you got things to do too like go on over to our youtube channel and subscribe i'm going to be opening up a pack of spawn trading cards on trn tv which is the retro network youtube channel so if you go over there pay attention to that video i am going to be giving you some instructions on how you can win two packs of spawn trading cards the Bottom line is, this is for the diehards. If you've chosen to subscribe, you will be given the keys to the kingdom, so to speak, so that you can get a vintage pack of spawn trading cards. So, just keep an eye out for all those announcements. We'll put it on social media as well. Also, wanted to give you a heads up on our next episode. It is so cool, guys. This is a lot of fun. Michael couldn't make it. He has a lot going on. This is a busy summer for this man. But, to replace our one and only Mr. Canetti, we have not one, not two, but three Wizard staffers. Yes, we have a panel of Wizard staffers covering issue 59 with us. We had so much fun talking. Who are they? Well, it is none other than former Toy Fair editor Justin Acklin, also former Toy Fair editor TJ Deesh, and Chris Ward. Oh, he of Magic Words and many, many different articles in the later issues of Wizard in the mid 2000s. So I want to give you a heads up on that. They are a great crew. They were fans like us reading the magazine at this time, so they they are sharing all sorts of memories. We get into Onslaught. Ah, you're just going to want to be there. So make sure that you are following us on Twitter at Wizards Comics, on Instagram at Wizards underscore comics, so you can stay informed and ready to go. Of course, if you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, it always helps just to expand the universe of Wizards. If you want to go buy a t-shirt on our Tee Public store and rock your Wizards gear at the local comic shop so other people can find out about it and get in on that 90s comics nostalgia, we would appreciate it. But either way, plan to be back here for episode 59. And until next time, keep your books bagged and boarded.